0: section 33 of europe and elsewhere by mark twain this librivox recording is in the public domain read by john greenman chapter 31 marjorie fleming the wonder child marjorie has been in her tiny grave a hundred years and still the tears fall for her and will fall what an intensely human little creature she was HOW VIVIDLY SHE LIVED HER SMALL LIFE! HOW IMPULSIVE SHE WAS! HOW SUDDEN! HOW TEMPESTUOUS! HOW TENDER! HOW LOVING! HOW SWEET! HOW LOYAL! HOW REBELLIOUS! HOW REPENTANT! HOW WISE! HOW UNWISE! HOW BURSTING WITH FUN! HOW FRANK! HOW FREE! how honest, how innocently bad, how natively good, how charged with quaint philosophies, how winning, how precious, how adorable, and how perennially and indestructibly interesting. And all this exhibited, proved, and recorded— before she reached the end of her ninth year and fell on sleep. Geographically considered, the lassie was a Scot, but in fact she had no frontiers. She was the world's child, and she was the human race in little. It is one of the prides of my life that the first time I ever heard her name, It came from the lips of Dr. John Brown, his very own self, Dr. John Brown of Edinburgh, Dr. John Brown of Rab and his friends, Dr. John Brown of the beautiful face and the sweet spirit, whose friends loved him with a love that was worship, Dr. John Brown who was Marjorie's biographer and who had clasped an aged hand that had caressed Marjorie's fifty years before, thus linking me with that precious child by an unbroken chain of handshakes, for I had shaken hands with Dr. John. This was in Edinburgh thirty-six years ago. He gave my wife his little biography of Marjorie, and I have it yet is marjorie known in america no at least to only a few when mr l mcbean's new and enlarged and charming biography note one marjorie fleming by l mcbean g p putnam's sons publishers london and new york permission to use the extracts quoted from marjorie's journal in this article has been granted me by the publishers. End note one. Of her was published five years ago. It was sent over here in sheets, the market not being large enough to justify recomposing and reprinting it on our side of the water. I find that there are even cultivated Scotchmen among us who have not heard of marjorie fleming she was born in kirkaday in 1803 and she died when she was eight years and eleven months old by the time she was five years old she was become a devourer of various kinds of literature both heavy and light and was also become a quaint and free-spoken and charming little thinker and philosopher, whose views were a delightful jumble of first-hand cloth of gold and second-hand rags. When she was six she opened up that rich mine, her journals, and continued to work it by spells during the remainder of her brief life. She was a pet of Walter Scott, from the cradle, and when he could have her society for a few hours, he was content and required no other. Her little head was full of noble passages from Shakespeare and other favorites of hers, and the fact that she could deliver them with moving effect is proof that her elocution was a born gift with her and not a mechanical reproduction of somebody else's art, for a child's parrot-work does not move. When she was a little creature of seven years, Sir Walter Scott would read ballads to her in his own glorious way, the two getting wild with excitement over them, and he would take her on his knee AND MAKE HER REPEAT CONSTANCE'S SPEECHES IN KING JOHN, TILL HE SWAYED TO AND FRO, SOBBING HIS FILL. DR. JOHN BROWN SOBBING HIS FILL, THAT GREAT MAN, OVER THAT LITTLE THING'S INSPIRED INTERPRETATIONS. IT IS A STRIKING PICTURE. THERE IS NO MATE TO IT. Sir Walter said of her, "'She's the most extraordinary creature I ever met with, and her repeating of Shakespeare overpowers me as nothing else does. She spent the whole of her little life in a Presbyterian heaven, yet she was not affected by it. She could not have been happier if she had been in the other heaven.'" She was made out of thunderstorms and sunshine, and not even her little perfunctory pieties and shop-made holiness could squelch her spirits or put out her fires for long. Under pressure of a pestering sense of duty, she heaves a shovelful of trade godliness into her journals every little while, but it does not offend for none of it is her own. It is all borrowed, it is a convention, a custom of her environment, it is the most innocent of hypocrisies, and this tainted butter of hers soon gets to be as delicious to the reader as are the stunning and worldly sincerities she splatters around it every time her pen takes a fresh breath. The adorable child. She hasn't a discoverable blemish in her makeup anywhere. Marjorie's first letter was written before she was six years old. It was to her cousin, Issa Keith, a young lady of whom she was passionately fond. It was done in a sprawling hand, ten words to the page, and in those foolscap days, A page was a spacious thing. My dear Iza, I now sit down on my bottom to answer all the kind and beloved letters which you was so, so good as to write to me. This is the first time I ever wrote a letter in my life. Miss Potoon, a lady of my acquaintance, Praises me dreadfully. I repeated something out of Dean Swift, and she said I was fit for the stage, and you may think I was primmed up with majestic pride, but upon my word, I felt myself turn a little bersay. Bersay is a word which is a word that William composed, which is, as you may suppose, a little enraged. This horrid fat simpleton says that my aunt is beautiful, which is entirely impossible, for that is not her nature. Frank? Yes, Marjorie was that, and during the brief moment that she enchanted this dull earth with her presence, she was the bewitchingest speller and punctuator in all Christendom. The average child of six prints its correspondence in rickety and reeling Roman capitals, or dictates to Mama, who puts the little chap's message on paper. The sentences are labored, repetitious, and slow. There are but three or four of them they deal in information solely they contain no ideas they venture no judgments no opinions they inform papa that the cat has had kittens again that mary has a new doll that can wink that tommy has lost his top and will papa come soon and bring the writer something nice but with marjorie it is different she needs no amanuensis she puts her message on paper herself and not in weak and tottering Roman capitals but in a thundering hand that can be heard a mile and be read across the square without glasses and she doesn't have to study and puzzle and search her head for something to say. No, she had only to connect the pen with the paper and turn on the current. The words spring forth at once and go chasing after each other like leaves dancing down a stream. For she has a faculty, has Marjorie, indeed, yes. When she sits down on her bottom to do a letter, there isn't going to be any lack of materials nor of fluency, and neither is her letter going to be wanting in pepper, or vinegar, or vitriol, or any of the other condiments employed by genius to save a literary work of art from flatness and vapidity and as for judgments and opinions they are as commodiously in her line as they are in the lord chief justices they have weight too and are convincing for instance for thirty-six years they have damaged that horrid simpleton in my eyes and more than that they have even imposed upon me and most unfairly and unwarrantably, an aversion to the horrid fat simpleton's name, a perfectly innocent name, and yet, because of the prejudice against it with which this child has poisoned my mind for a generation, I cannot see Potune on paper and keep my gorge from rising.' In her journals, Marjorie changes her subject whenever she wants to, and that is pretty often. When the deep moralities pay her a passing visit, she registers them. Meantime, if a cherished love passage drifts across her memory, she shoves it into the midst of the moralities. It is nothing to her that It may not feel at home there. We should not be happy at the death of our fellow-creatures, for they love life like us love your neighbor, and he will love you. Bountifulness and mercifulness are always rewarded. In my travels I met with a handsome lad named Charles Balfour Esquire and from him i got offers of marriage offers of marriage did i say nay plainly he loved me goodness does not belong to the wicked but badness dishonor befalls wickedness but not virtue no disgrace befalls virtue perseverance overcomes almost all difficulties no i am wrong in saying almost i should say always as it is so perseverance is a virtue my cousin says patience is a christian virtue which is true she is not copying these profundities out of a book she is getting them out of her memory her spelling shows that the book is not before her the easy and effortless flow of her talk is a marvelous thing in a baby of her age. Her interests are as wide and varied as a grown person's. She discusses all sorts of books and fearlessly delivers judgment upon them. She examines whomsoever crosses the field of her vision and again delivers a verdict. She dips into religion and history, and even into politics. She takes a shy at the news of the day and comments upon it. And now and then she drops into poetry, into rhyme at any rate. Marjorie would not intentionally mislead anyone, but she has just been making a remark which moves me to hoist a danger signal for the protection of the modern reader. It is this one, in my travels. Naturally, we are apt to clothe the word with its present-day meaning, the meaning we are used to, the meaning we are familiar with. And so, well, you get the idea. Some words that are giants today were very small dwarfs a century ago, and if we are not careful to take that vast enlargement into account when we run across them in the literatures of the past, they are apt to convey to us a distinctly wrong impression. Today, when a person says, in my travels, He means that he has been around the globe 19 or 20 times, and we so understand him. And so, when Marjorie says it, it startles us for a moment, for it gives us the impression that she has been around it 14 or 15 times, whereas such is not at all the case she has traveled prodigiously for her day but not for ours she had traveled altogether three miles by land and eight by water per ferry-boat she is fairly and justly proud of it for it is the exact equivalent in grandeur and impressiveness in the case of a child of our day to two trips across the atlantic and a thousand miles by rail in the love novels all the heroines are very desperate isabella will not allow me to speak about lovers and heroines and tis too refined for my taste a lodestone is a curious thing indeed it is true heroic love doth never win disgrace this is my maxim and i will follow it forever miss Edwards uh, Edgeworth, tales are very good particularly some that are very much adopted for youth as lazy lawrence tarleton false key etc etc persons of the parliament house are as i think called Advocates. Mr. K and Mr. Cracky has that honour. This has been a very mild winter. Mr. Bainstore's budget is tonight. I hope it will be a good one. A great many authors have expressed themselves too sentimentally. The mercantile affairs are in a perilous situation. Sickness and a delicante frame i have not and i do not know what it is but ah me perhaps i shall have it note one it is a whole century since the dimly conscious little prophet said it but the pathos of it is still there end of note one grandeur reigns in edinburgh thompson is a beautiful author and pope but nothing is like shakespeare of which i have a little knowledge of an unfortunate death james the five had for he died of grief macbeth is a pretty composition but awful one macbeth is so bad and wicked but lady macbeth is so hardened in guilt she does not mind her sins and faults, no. A sailor called here to say farewell. It must be dreadful to leave his native country where he might get a wife or perhaps me, for I love him very much and with all my heart. But, oh, I forgot Isabella forbid me to speak about love. I wish. Everybody would follow her example, and be as good, as pious, and virtuous as she is, and they would get husbands soon enough. Love is a parathetic thing, as well as troublesome and tiresome. But, oh, Isabella forbid me to speak about it. But the little rascal can't keep from speaking about it because it is her supreme interest in life. Her heart is not capacious enough to hold all the product that is engendered by the ever-recurring, inflaming spectacle of man-creatures going by, and the surplus is obliged to spill over. Izz's prohibitions are no sufficient damn for such a discharge love i think is the fashion for everybody is marrying marrying yesterday a married man named mr john balfour esg esq offered to kiss me and offered to marry me though the man was espoused espoused and his wife was present and said he must ask her permission but he did not I think he was ashamed, or confounded, before three gentlemen, Mr. Jobson and two Mr. Kings. I must make room here for another of Marjorie's second-hand high-morality outbreaks. They give me a sinful delight which I ought to grieve at, I suppose, but I can't seem to manage it. James McCarry is to be transported for murder in the flower of his youth. Oh, passion is a terrible thing, for it leads people from sin to sin at last. It gets so far as to come to greater crimes than we thought we could commit, and it must be dreadful to leave his native country and his friends and to be so disgraced and affronted that is marjorie talking shop dear little diplomat to please and comfort mama and Issa, no doubt this wee little child has a marvelous range of interests she reads philosophies novels baby books histories the mighty poets reads them with burning interest, and frankly and freely criticizes them all. She revels in storms, sunsets, cloud effects, scenery of mountain, plain, ocean, and forest, and all the other wonders of nature, and sets down her joy in them all. She loves people. She detests people according to mood and circumstances and delivers her opinion of them sometimes seasoned with attar of roses sometimes with vitriol in games and all kinds of childish play she is an enthusiast she adores animals adores them all none is too forlorn to fail of favor in her friendly eyes no creature so humble that she cannot find something in it on which to lavish her caressing worship. I am going to-morrow to a delightful place, Brayhead by name, belonging to Mrs. Crawford Crawford, where there is ducks, cocks, hens, bobbly jocks, two dogs two cats and swine which is delightful i think it is shocking to think that the dog and cat should bear them and they are drowned after all she is a dear child a bewitching little scamp and never dearer i think than when the devil has had her in possession and she is breaking her stormy little heart over the remembrance of it i confess i have been very more like a little young devil than a creature for when isabella went upstairs to teach me religion and my multiplication and to be good and all by other lessons i stamped with my foot and threw my new hat which she had made on the ground and was sulky and was dreadfully passionate but she never whipped me but said marjorie go into another room and think what a great crime you are committing letting your temper get the better of you but i went so sulkily that the devil got the better of me but she never 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 whips me so that i think i would be the better of it and the next time that i behave ill I think she should do it, for she never does it. Isabella has given me praise for checking my temper, for I was sulky even when she was kneeling an whole hour teaching me to write. The wise Isabella, the sweet and patient Isabella. It is just a hundred years now, May 1909 since the grateful child made that golden picture of you and laid your good heart bare for distant generations to see and bless a hundred years but if the picture endures a thousand it will still bring you the blessing and with it the reverent homage that is your due you had the seeing eye and the wise head A fool would have punished Marjorie and wrecked her, but you held your hand as knowing that when her volcanic fires went down she would repent and grieve and punish herself and be saved. Sometimes when Marjorie was miraculously good she got a penny for it, and once when she got an entire sixpence She recognized that it was wealth. This wealth brought joy to her heart. Why? Because she could spend it on somebody else. We who know Marjorie would know that without being told it. I am sorry, often sorry, often grieved that I was not there and looking over her shoulder when she was writing down her valued penny rewards. I would have said, Save that scrap of manuscript, dear. Make a will, and leave it to your posterity, to save them from want when penny shall threaten them. A day will come when it will be worth a thousand guineas, and a later day will come when it will be worth five thousand. Here you are rejoicing in copper farthings, and don't know that your magic pen is showering gold coin all over the paper. But I was not there to say it. Those who were there did not think to say it, and so there is not a line of that quaint precious cacography in existence today. I have adored Marjorie for six-and-thirty years. I have adored her in detail. I have adored the whole of her, but above all other details, just a little above all other details, I have adored her because she detested that odious and confusing and un- vanquishable and unlearnable and shameless invention the multiplication table i am now going to tell you the horrible and wretched plage plague that my multiplication gives me you can't conceive it the most devilish thing is eight times eight and seven times seven It is what nature itself can't endure. I stand reverently uncovered in the presence of that holy verdict. Here is that person again whom I so dislike, and for no reason at all except that my Marjorie doesn't like her. Miss Potoon is very fat. She pretends to be very learned. She says she saw a stone that dropped from the skies, but she is a good Christian. Of course stones have fallen from the skies, but I don't believe this horrid fat simpleton had ever seen one that had done it. But even if she had, it was none of her business, and she could have been better employed than in going around exaggerating it and carrying on about it, and trying to make trouble with a little child that had never done her any harm, the birds do chirp, the lambs do leap, and nature is clothed with the garments of green, yellow, and white, purple, and red. There is a book that is called The Newgate Calendar that contains all the murders, all the murders, did I say, nay, all thefts and forgeries that ever were committed, and fills me with horror and consternation. Marjorie is a diligent little student, and her education is always storming along and making great time and lots of noise. Isabella this morning taught me some French words, one of which is bonsoir. The interpretation is good morning. It slanders Isabella, but the slander is not intentional. The main thing to notice is that big word, interpretation. Not many children of Marjorie's age can handle a five-syllable team in that easy and confident way. It is observable that she frequently employs words of an imposingly formidable size, and is manifestly quite familiar with them, and not at all afraid of them. "'Issa is teaching me to make simon Collings knots.' of interrogations, periods, and commas, etc. As this is Sunday, I will meditate upon sensible and religious subjects first. I should be very thankful I am not a beggar, as many are." That was the first. She didn't get to her second subject, but got sidetracked by a saner interest, and used her time to better purpose it is melancholy to think that i have so many talents and many there are that have not had the attention paid to them that i have and yet they contrive to be better than me isabella is far too indulgent to me and even the miss crawfords say that they wonder at her patience with me and it is indeed true for my temper is a bad one." The daring child wrote a synopsized history of Mary Queen of Scots and of five of the royal Jameses in rhyme. But never mind, we have no room to discuss it here. Nothing was entirely beyond her literary jurisdiction. If it had occurred to her that the laws of Rome needed codifying, she would have taken a chance at it. Here is a sad note. My religion is greatly falling off, because I don't pray with so much attention when I am saying my prayers, and my character is lost among the Brayhead people. I hope I will be religious again, but as for regaining my character, I despair of it. When religion and character go, they leave a large vacuum, but there are ways to fill it. I forgot to say, but I've four lovers. The other one is Harry Watson, a very delightful boy. James Keith hardly ever spoke to me. He said, girl make less noise cracky hall i walked to that delightful place with a delightful young man beloved by all his friends and especially by me his loveress but i must not talk any longer about him for isa said it is not proper for to speak of gentlemen. but i will never forget him the Scythians' tribe live very coarsely for a glutton introduced to Arsaces, the captain of the army. One man who dressed hair and another man who was a good cook, but Arsaces said that he would keep one for brushing his horse's tail and the other to fade his pig's on Saturday I expected no less than three well-made bucks, the names of whom is here advertised, Mr. George Crakey craggy, and William Keith and J. N. Keith. The first is the funniest of every one of them. Mr. Crakey and I walk to Crakey Hall. Craggy Hall hand and hand, in innocence and matitation, sweet thinking on the kind love which flows in our tender-hearted mind, which is overflowing with majestic pleasure, no one was ever so polite to me in the whole state of my existence. Mr. Cracky, you must know, is a great buck and pretty good-looking. For a purpose, I wish the reader to take careful note of these statistics. I am going to tell you of a melancholy story. A young turkey of two or three months old. Would you believe it? The father broke its leg, and he killed another. I think he ought to be transported or hanged. Marjorie wrote some verses about this tragedy, I think. I cannot be quite certain it is this one, for in the verses there are three deaths, whereas these statistics do not furnish so many. Also in the statistics the father of the deceased is indifferent about the loss he has sustained, whereas in the verses he is not also in the third verse the mother too exhibits feeling whereas in the two closing verses of the poem she at least it seems to be she is indifferent at least it looks like indifference to me and i believe it is indifference three turkeys fair their last have breathed and now this world forever leaved their father and their mother, too, They sighed and weep as well as you. Indeed the rats their bones have cranched, Into eternity there launched. A direful death, indeed, they had, As Wad put any parent mad. But she was more than usual calm, She did not give a single damn the naughty little scamp I mean for not leaving out the l in the word calm so as to perfect the rhyme it seems a pity to damage with a lame rhyme a couplet that is otherwise without a blemish marjorie wrote four journals she began the first one in january 1809 When she was just six years old and finished it five months later in june she began the second in the following month and finished it six months afterward january 1810 when she was just seven she began the third one in april 1810 and finished it in the autumn She wrote the fourth in the winter of 1810-11, and the last entry in it bears the date July 19, 1811, and she died exactly five months later, December 19th, aged eight years and eleven months. It contains her rhymed Scottish histories. Let me quote from Dr. John Brown the day before her death sunday she sat up in bed worn and thin her eye gleaming as with the light of a coming world and with a tremulous old voice repeated a long poem by burns heavy with the shadow of death and lit with the fantasy of the judgment seat the publican's prayer in paraphrase beginning why am i loath to leave this earthly scene have i so found it full of pleasing charms some drops of joy with drafts of ill between some gleams of sunshine mid renewing storms it is more affecting than we care to say to read her mother's and isabella keith's letters written immediately after her death old and withered tattered and pale they are now but when you read them how quick how throbbing with life and love how rich in that language of affection which only women and shakespeare and luther can use that power of detaining the soul over the beloved object, and its loss. Fifty years after Marjorie's death, her sister, writing to Dr. Brown, said, My mother was struck by the patient quietness manifested by Marjorie during this illness, unlike her ardent, impulsive nature, but love and poetic feeling were unquenched when dr johnstone rewarded her submissiveness with a sixpence the request speedily followed that she might get out ere new year's day came when asked why she was so desirous of getting out she immediately rejoined oh i am so anxious to buy something with my sixpence for my dear isa keith again when lying very still her mother asked her if there was anything she wished. Oh, yes, if you would just leave the room door open a wee bit, and play the land or the leal, and I will lie and think and enjoy myself. This is just as stated to me by her mother and mine. Well, the happy day came alike to parents and child when Marjorie was allowed to come forth from the nursery to the parlor. It was Sabbath evening and after tea. My father, who idolized this child, and never afterward in my hearing mentioned her name, took her in his arms, and while walking her up and down the room she said, Father, I will repeat something to you. What would you like? He said, Just Choose for yourself, maidie. She hesitated for a moment between the paraphrase Few are thy days and full of woe and the lines of Burns already quoted, but decided on the latter. A remarkable choice for a child. The repeating of these lines seemed to stir up the depths of feeling in her soul. She asked to be allowed to write a poem. There was a doubt whether it would be right to allow her, in case of hurting her eyes. She pleaded earnestly, just this once. The point was yielded. Her slate was given her, and with great rapidity she wrote an address of fourteen lines. To my loved cousin on the author's recovery. The cousin was Isaac Heath. She went to bed apparently well, awoke in the middle of the night with the old cry of woe to a mother's heart. My head, my head! Three days of the dire malady. Water in the head followed, and the end came. End of chapter 31 Marjorie Fleming, The Wonder Child Read by John Greenman